like last week, I won't get done, I'm sure. But at least we'll have a few minutes here to focus on what is one of the most, one of the deepest theological places, uh, deepest theological waters that the Lord gives to us. And it explains a whole lot of stuff to us. If you read Romans 5, 12, 21, you will understand why there's wars. You will understand why there's murders. You will understand why people rob each other and divorce each other. You'll understand why kids sass their parents and why parents abuse their kids. It explains it to us. This is a condition, in essence, in which we can't really help ourselves. This is, well, we're, this is just how we're born. But the good news there is that through Christ, we can go back and re, be reborn. And we, uh, we can't help ourselves, but God can help us and he can change us. Let me, say a moment, or let me say a word about this idea of this title, the Army of One. Of course, you know, that's a slogan that the United States Army had, uh, I think, probably 20 years ago. I don't think it lasted real long, you know, like any business, they, they change their slogans and stuff. And, and uh, I think that this one didn't last real long. But the idea, as I would understand it or take it, is that it's just a way of emphasizing the contribution that any one person can actually make to the actual goal or cause of the conflict. That, you know, it's not emphasizing teamwork, but it is emphasizing the contribution that any one individual can make. And so instead of saying, for example, we have an army of 100,000, you might say, if you looked at it from this perspective, we have 100,000 armies of one. We have men and women who, on their own, can do something. And you join 100,000 of them together. So it's that kind of an th- emphasis, which is good. I mean, that's part of the perspective. And from the last part of Romans chapter 5, this is the emphasis, the reason I use this phrase, is that in Adam... In the first person that came along that God created in Adam and Eve, you have one person that influenced and impacted everything. Tremendous, unparalleled influence in the history of the world. He influenced us. Not in a good way, in a negative way. But in Christ, you also had one other, one person who had an army-sized impact. And Christ came, and he influenced every single one of us as well. So these two individuals are somewhat unique. And in fact, if you're if you're looking if you have sermon notes there from the bulletin, you might see a little box there. And I tried to express in there. He says in verse 14 um, of Romans 5 that Adam was a pattern of Christ. And when I think about that logically I think to myself, hold it, Adam was just like the opposite of Christ in every way. Adam stood for Adam stood up and fell right down. And, and Christ came down and got, got up and, and lifted us up. So how is Adam a pattern for Jesus? Well, in that exact way. Both of them were an army of one. Both of them, through what they did, volunteer, it, it, both of them through what they did involved everybody else. You know, there's a lot of famous and powerful people. Go back to World War II era and you think about Joseph Stalin and, and Franklin Roosevelt, for example. And you see these pictures of them at the Malta conference. And you just think to yourself, 
You know, these men influenced millions of people. They affected the lives of millions of people. Stalin made millions of people miserable. He made them prisoners. He, he, he killed them and caused great conflict and, or caused great um, grief in their lives. Roosevelt influenced, and, and in a positive way, millions of people and lifted them up to a better st standard of living and so forth. So, so probably in the history of mankind, you know, maybe few leaders or few individuals have more influence than those two men who happen to live at the same time. But their influence was, is still quite limited to a generation, to one part of the earth's surface. There are people who, were living in, who lived in some long-lost uh, long wilderness had never heard of Joe Stalin, never heard of FDR. would say, Who? Because even though their influence was vast, it never took in everybody, but Adam took in everybody, and Jesus took in everybody. And so in that sense, the outreach of this one was so vast, like, a, like an army that just swarmed over the planet. And that's what it's telling us. And I, I would like to read, just read these verses, and... Um, even though I use the NIV most of the time, I would like to read them from the New Living Translation because they are a little easier to follow verbally. I'm just going to read in Romans 5, starting in verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not obey, disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and the gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift, leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sins of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over, uh, over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. And all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but... Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. That's what I said explains, <laughs> explains all the problems of all the history. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned even more, God's wonderful grace became even more abundant. 
So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If uh, I would just go back and, and put these ingredients there in the chapter, these are the big words of that part that we just read. Um, it's saying that in the rebellion of Adam was resulted the death of all of us, physical and spiritual. The law was given as, as a regulation or an explanation so that we could understand why, why sin deserved punishment, uh, why death was a necessity in the viewpoint of God, but also that we could understand the need for forgiveness and mercy so that we could come to him. And receive the gift of forgiveness and mercy. And of course he says, you know, it's, it's like a box, two boxers in the ring. And the first boxer takes his best punch, boom, and he, and he you know, he clips the other guy. But when, while he's exchanging as his arm's folding back, here comes the powerful roundhouse from the, from the other dude. And just knocks him right down and he's out for the count. What Adam did affected everybody, but when Jesus came back, boom, he's actually the remedy for the rebellion. He's actually the remedy for the result of death. And so because Jesus came and brought remedy, the cure is here. We can live with health. We can take the medicine, and we can be, have this condition reversed. That's kind of the flow of thought. These are the ingredients that he's saying are there. Just to go through very briefly and, and kind of recap some of the themes that I just read. That <clears throat> this contrast in Romans 5 is between Adam who brought death to many and Jesus who brought forgiveness to many. He, <clears throat> he contrasts how sin multiplied because of Adam bringing it into the world and at being the first one to kind of bring the virus in. And the contrast put that between that and Jesus who brought the cure that was able to also spread to many. I think spread is a good word. So Adam sinned and that brought death and death spread to all. Sin spread. You know, I was reading not too long ago about Tisquantum. Who's Tisquantum? How about Squanto? You heard of Squanto? Remember Squanto, the Indian brave that helped the pilgrims? His real name was Tisquantum. Anyway, that's trivia. Uh, he was taken captive with some, some, brutal, some, some brutal Europeans when they were over here. Squanto befriended them, and they took him captive, put him on boat, took him to Europe, enslaved him for uh, several years. And I can't even remember what country it was. I think it was one of the, I forget what, which country it was in, but he, Squanto escaped. You can read about this. And he made his way to England. He learned English over a period of several years. He learned English and he escaped and got to England because the English were coming across the water with their boats. And Squanto wanted, of course, to get back to his home in New England. And he was able to do that. And he got, uh, uh, to, to make a long story very short, he was able to get on a boat. And he came back and he reached the shores of Massachusetts where he grew up. And he was just thrilled to be reunited with his family. And you know what happened? Remember the story how when he got to the village where he grew up, there was nothing, absolutely nothing but devastation. And there was no one there 
And he searched and searched, and other Indian villages also had been wiped out. And slowly, the news came, or somehow it became known, that they were all dead. All his family, all his villagers, all of his, his world, his kinfolk, his people. A, a single virus had come and wiped them all out. A virus apparently brought by the white people that the Indians had no resistance to. And they all died. Squanto lost his whole entire world. Because that one tiny virus just multiplied among the tribes. And as they had intercourse with each other, they, they just were killing each other off because they were spreading this one virus that had been introduced. There's, there's, no, limit to the, uh, there's no limit to the destruction that one little virus can do. And so it was with Adam, sin multiplied. This word isn't in Romans 5, but if I read it and think of sort of the, the history of it, it seems like to me that the point partly is that Adam thought only of himself. He didn't ponder the future generations. Now, I, 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 I want to be careful not try to fault Adam because I wouldn't have done any better if I'd been there in the Garden of Eden, I feel sure. I don't know that he could even envision our day, if he could even envision the multiplication of, a, of the human race. I don't know, but I know he understood enough to be guilty. But it seems as if it's saying, look, this one man took his own happiness before all of the good of all of the rest of us. And he just did what he wanted to do and, and didn't really consider how it would affect his descendants. But Jesus came, did not do what he wanted to do. He came for the sake of his descendants. He talks about there how it is that we are under an obligation, in a sense, to sin. We don't have a choice. We're just born into it. We're, we're, we're born and bred into it. It's just, it, it inhabits our mind, our thoughts. And, and our actions in a way that we uh, naturally express it. I know, you look at these cute little babies, these lovely, happy little babies, and you say, oh, what a work of art, and what a joy, and there's no way that we, we, we struggle to consider and realize that this bouncy, beautiful baby is a sinner, that, that, uh, that they would have this flaw that is, and it's not genetic, I mean, I, mean, I mean, it's not physical thing. It's not in the physical body, although it affects the physical body. And somehow seems to be passed down through the whole process of parenting. But, but somehow or other, it's like there isn't, there isn't a, a choice for us to be sinners. But what we are given by Jesus is, comes as a gift. And so this is the, uh, the great blessing. He talks about how death reigned back then, but now those who come into Christ, we reign, we rule in the choices that, that we get to make. He talks about in there how sin brought punishment and, obedi uh, and obedience to Christ brought reward. These are, just, just, these are simply the contrast that he's pointing out. Many were made sinners and through the obedience of Christ, many will be made or are, have, been made, have been made righteous, righteous. The dominant force of life under Adam becomes this weight, this heaviness, this, this mass impact of sin. The dominant, the dominant uh, 
energy under Jesus Christ is grace, that a person is able to be loved and considered worthy and honored even though they're sinners, or even though their behavior has been sinful, that they would be considered worthy of forgiveness and a second trial and a new birth, a, sec- a second uh, trial and a new birth. So this is what he says. Now, let me just mention two points of theology, I guess we could say, that spin off from this. The first is what theologians or people who kind of deal with this and think about this and write articles about it and write uh, commentaries and all this kind of thing, these kind of folks often refer to as original sin, often refer to by the term depravity. If you hear somebody talking about so-and-so is depraved, I guarantee it's not a compliment. Um. Depravity has to do with the fact, as I said here in this sentence, that we're just born already with an attitude that's not a good attitude, it's not an open attitude, it's not a righteous attitude toward God. We're born with an attitude that already has an attitude. It's negative. If I had my choice, I'd hide from God, I'd run from God, I would rebel against God, I'd I'd. I would head the other way from God, just like Adam did in the garden when God came to him, because this is what sin put into my being. And it's not, it doesn't mean, depravity doesn't necessarily mean that we're all as bad as we could possibly be, because there's a lot of wonderful, good people, even who are not saved, who are not Christians, who do not follow Christ, have never made a commitment to Christ. And they're good-hearted people, and they have good morals and standards, and they, and they give to charity, and there's, there's wonderful, wonderful people so that are depraved. They are sons and daughters of Adam, and they've never transferred their allegiance to Christ. And yet, I wouldn't be afraid to, you know, spend time with them or go on a trip with them or anything. So it doesn't mean necessarily we're all as bad, all, as, bad as we could possibly be means we're as bad off as we could possibly be. Even with our moral goodness, we're still, we're, we're still falling away from God. We're still in a state of alienation and apathy. If I could say this, if, if I could say, you know, the result of sin isn't an inner moral flaw, it's a color. Maybe purple, I don't know, orange, green. It's a color. We would all be that color. It would, it would color our skin, all of us. So we would all be purple people if, dep- if sin and the tendency and the proneness towards sin was a color rather than a hidden, invisible, moral condition. We would all be that color. That's what I'm saying. That's what he's saying here. As in Adam, all sinned, and sin spread to all of us, the results of sin. So, that's one way of saying. Um, elsewhere, the Bible refers to this alienness, alienation or this apathy as, as being dead. We're, we're born spiritually dead. We don't have any interest on our own. Somehow, the Spirit of God has to awaken us and create within us an interest, a hunger. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're the happy people because they, they begin a journey that will take them back and restore what, at, what was stole away through the fall of Adam. So that's one way of saying it. Another way of saying it could be that this bottom statement, that we just naturally, from the time of birth, we just naturally lean away from God. We don't lean toward Him voluntarily. We, we, we're just prone from the day we're born and we become aware. We're just prone to resist and lean, and, and lean away from, from the Lord. There you go. If, uh, anybody ever been over there and seen this? Oh, yeah. More than I thought. Okay. I have it not, so. Uh, you know what this is called, right? Of what? Did you say pizza? <laughs> you can't see it very well. That's the leaning tower of pizza. I think right up at the top is a big slice. It's a good thing it's this early in the morning or everybody would be up here. If, you could, if that picture was really focused well, it'll make you hungry. Yeah. Okay, let me try this again here. You can see how this is. And, and the point, of, the point of, of, of Romans 5 and the, and the truth of the rest of the Scripture is there's, there's no easy way to correct this baby. You could hook a cable to it and put a couple bulldozers and tractors and everything, and you'll pull the building in half, trying to force it to stand upright, trying to force a person to be good. You can destroy the person, but you can't force them to be good. You cannot force them to be righteous in their character. And, and so um, that's why I say, uh, let me see here if I got, yeah. That's why I say here in your sermon notes, if uh, any program devised to eliminate sin or punish sinners is not going to succeed. In other words, if the point of a program, a, human, a humanly originated program is, we're going to cut off this person's ability to sin, We'll put them in an environment so remote and so hard they won't have any access to the tools of their sin trade. Uh, or we will punish them so hard every time they sin that they won't do it anymore. I'm simply saying if you feel or think that you could control or stop the sinful tendency of human beings by a program, uh, a carrot or a stick, or uh, some sort of uh, a particular... Uh, removing the enticement that a person might have to sin or change their environment that's encouraging or conducive to sin um, or, or punish or reward them. It's not going to work. You can put somebody in solitary confinement so that they don't even have anything with which to sin and they're still a sinner. And it's still the, it's still the attitude of their heart to lean away from God and to resist Him. And you can talk to many men and women who've been in solitary confinement and they will tell you it didn't do anything to change their nature in and of itself. 
We could buy someone new clothes. We could buy them a new house. We could buy them a new car. We could put them in a new school. We could put them in a new neighborhood. And all we have done is just change their address and change their wardrobe. They're still the same person as they were before. When you're leaning away from God, there is no human force. If, If I could back up to this picture, there's nothing that can hook a hold of you and pull you upright. It's got to have the change in the ground underneath. Somehow the ground has to come up and right that baby. It has to come from somewhere outside of it. Because the determination just simply to to straighten it up would destroy it in the process. And so that's why I'm saying here that if you want, as a human being, to be rehabilitated, that you have to go back and have to be born anew. This is what Jesus taught and talked about. The, the effects of the, first birth, the, of the first birth can only be overrun and overwhelmed by a second birth. It's, there, is, there really is no other way. Now, let me just m- mention one other, one other point. And that is something that he's talking about here, connection with the largeness, the, the mammoth scope of the sin of Adam. He talks about it, I think, he keeps coming back to it to make a point. And the point is that some people don't believe that Jesus could save anybody and everybody. They don't believe that Jesus could come and be the answer to everybody's problems and and the the solution to the the hatred and the animosity and the ill will. They just don't believe that Jesus is, is everybody's solution. One person really couldn't solve the problems for everyone of every race and every historical uh, every every historical era one person is not the answer for all of the planet of all of the history just no way and and our human minds we we could be very skeptical to accept that solution but paul is saying in romans 5 as i understand him look it's no big deal That one man could change everything. Because that's already happened. Adam is a historical example. It is proven from history that one person's conduct can affect everybody's life. So you don't need to be skeptical about Jesus Christ. You don't need to be um, disbelieving that, that that one Savior could save us all. He's saying one person could get us all lost, so one person could, could fi- come in and find all of us. And that's what Adam did. If Adam did it, um, that's what Jesus did. If Jesus did it, then if, if Adam did it, then Jesus could do it too. And so it seems to me that the implication of that is that I cannot be saved, possibly be saved, I cannot possibly enter heaven by good works because I'm not bound to hell because of bad works. I'm not, I, I'm not on my way to hell because I robbed a bank or because I killed someone or because I was mean to my wife or my kids. That in itself is not what sends me, is going to send me to hell. Those are all just expressions and symptoms. And so, by like logic, if I'm nice to my kids and I help my neighbor, that's not going to send me to heaven either. It's a good thing and it's a hopeful thing that we can't. I mean, we should help our neighbor and all that, but you see what I'm saying. We're not separated from God because we're so bad. 
We're separated from God because of what Adam did, and our identity is part of it, and we can't help that. It's just how we're born. It's who we are, and we can be a nice guy to our neighbors, and we can still be a child or son or a daughter of Adam and be lost, be, be alienated, uh, alienated away from God. Jesus, the Lord said to Adam, in the moment that you, in the day that you eat, you'll surely die. And even though we cannot always see all the results of it, oh, I guess I better stop. That's the end, okay? That's a, that's, a good, uh, that's a good sign I probably should stop. You've got to be born again. You're not saved by good works. You're saved by Jesus Christ, who then fills your heart with such love that you want to do all the good you can anywhere and anytime that you can. Heavenly Father, uh, we sing to your glory. We, we come here excited and joyful because you have, we have found this Christ and we have have come to accept this solution and we've seen the result in our own life and our own heart. And we are no longer leaning away from you. We lean toward you even though we fail and even though we, uh, we express the sinfulness of our old nature and, and the flesh rises up and gets a hold of us at times. We know what direction we lean. We lean in, in your direction because we have had the reversal effect of the solution of Jesus Christ in our life, and we're we're just uh, we're just profoundly all in all today that you, Lord Jesus, this one one man, one person from heaven, could come and die for all of us, and and that the efficacy of your blood can justify all of us, not just one or two, or not just a chosen few, but all of us. We're just. We're part of something that's great and, and mighty and awesome. We thank you, Lord, today for the privilege of being saved. In your name, amen. Let's take our hymnals again and turn to 511. We're going to sing verses 1 and 3. Let's stand together. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus.
I think we can just take the words of that song and say together, all of us, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming.